Welcome to Season 3, Episode 2 of the Cars Unfiltered Podcast. Today it's just Sal and Mike. Yep, how's it going? Tom has other things going on and so does Adam, so you're stuck with the two of us. And uh, I think it was the last episode we did with you and I as well. So this time we're not in a garage. Uh, we're inside a room, a cavernous room with some echo, so should be alright. Hopefully Tom can edit that out. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, but if not, uh, hopefully the content makes up for it. So today we're going to follow the same format we did last time. Hopefully it works out for you guys. Um, got a few news stories and uh, then we're going to dive into kind of more of a, a bigger topic that we want to go a little bit deeper on. Um, so in any case, leading off the news, um, just to beat a dead horse, with the Ranger upcoming, uh, I decided I got a little bit curious and I wanted to see, okay, what's the big difference between a Ranger and an F-150 but more to the point, do we really need all these small trucks? Because there was a comment from a guy uh, at Ford, a representative, that spoke to Jalopnik saying, there will always be substitution, but this is more of a lifestyle vehicle for people who want to use it for different purposes. So I posed the question to my companion over there that I already know the answer to, but do you think that the small truck market is a different subset than bigger trucks, and do we need it? Mike wants a Ranchero. That's what his answer. <laughs> so yes and no. Uh, I do think it's a different subset, just because. Uh, I mean, they are technically they're, they're different sizes. They're closer these days, right? Like a, a mid-sized truck now isn't nearly the mid-sized right. truck of nineteen eighty. Right? A mid-sized truck now is probably like a full-size truck. 10 years ago. Yeah, pretty cool. Pro- I mean, maybe not 10, but probably like 15. Yeah. You know? yeah. I mean, they're definitely uh, getting larger. Um, but I think it does serve a, a different subset, right? Uh, some of the people that want a mid-sized truck are probably looking more for, uh, I don't know, a, a use case vehicle than some of the people that are getting full-size trucks these days. Yeah. Um, a lot of the people that, that get full-size, excuse me, full-size trucks, um, you know, they're just hauling the family around. They're hauling the kids around. They're throwing whatever, book bags or golf clubs or whatever in the back, right? And it's really turned into kind of the sedan of 1955, right? Right. Whereas, um, I feel like people who are going to, a lot of the people who are going to get into the new, newer versions, I guess, of, uh, mid-sized pickups are, uh, are more like, I guess, like pickup people of years ago. Yeah. But it's funny you mentioned that because, so when I was looking up these stats, and I won't bore everyone without all of them, I did some benchmarking of, I did Toyota, the Tacoma versus the Tundra, Colorado versus Silverado, which it just dawned on me that like both of those are like very Western Latin-ish words like Colorado (laughs) and Silverado, which is just funny. But in any case, and then F-150 Ranger, right? But I guess to contradict your point, the biggest difference in um, the trucks between a full size and a mid size is really the the bed length, right? Options at least, and the payload, right? The interior volume. So just to give an idea of stuff that's important to me. So if you guys know anything about vehicle design, 
Hip room is one of the biggest factors, right, for the width, interior width of the car. It sets a good amount of the interior width. There's only a difference of three inches, which sounds like a lot, but look at your leg for a second. I mean, you're talking about five pounds either way, right? It's not a whole lot for hip room. And then rear leg room between the two, that one's about eight inches, but that's only because of you know, the F-150s has a gigantic back leg room, right? So, okay, you're looking at a foot more of leg room. Heights are relatively close. Outside width and length are less than a foot. So you're really only looking at bed length and payload. So you would almost think that the Ranger would take all of those families that are currently in full-size trucks, but I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think. No, I don't gonna... think that, that's what I'm saying. I don't think that's the the market that's going to uh, yeah, look to purchase them, right? You're going to have maybe like um, the Subaru people. You don't. Want yeah, kind of. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm envisioning, right? Is yeah, the kind of I don't want to uh, stereotype anybody. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. kind of the Subaru people. Right. Uh, sorry, Subaru. Uh, oh man, that's a Subaru too. I just thought it was uh, no, yeah, but okay. I mean, like, like the a, guys that would have had a Ford Ranger in right. 1990 which are the were, guys that are probably going to buy one of these, right, you know? Which were like smaller than Focuses are today. But I knew a guy that got Ranger. That's all he got. He got a new Ranger. And when I say new, it was like a used one. But new Ranger every like four or five years. Like, oh, I'm only going to get Ranger. So in any case, I just thought it was interesting when I looked up the data. that Yeah, I mean, so your your height is less than five inches more right five to six inches more the payload interestingly is the same well so there's there was a caveat on that the payload capacity for the ranger seems way too high yeah um the payload is now i will say the ranger information is not all publicized yet right obviously uh but yeah i mean the colorado's got fifteen thousand pounds of payload which makes the tundra look silly right with 1600 but uh, yeah. but in any case, so you're it's looking at looks silly anyway. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> six inches of width, six inches of height. The length is mostly attributed to the bed because the bed is over a foot difference on average. And I didn't even take. I took the six and a half foot standard bed. That's not even the eight foot bed. Ground clearance, you're looking at seven eight point seven of an inch. Like it's not even an or no sorry yeah less than an inch. So you're looking at payload and bed length. So you think the things that would make truck people stand out, I don't think are going to matter. I think that, yeah, you're going to get the people that are going to end up having to put a bike rack on the back of their car because their bike doesn't yep. fit in the bed. Right. Right. You because they're going to be able to get, you know, a crew cab or a um, yeah. whatever club cab, so, you know. So while I think Ford needed to get into the segment, I'm not entirely convinced that the segment is needed. No, I don't think the segment's needed at all. But, um... I, it, it's to be honest with you, the segments kind of needed. The segments needed, pretty much the the same as the car truck segment is needed. Yeah. That being the old Caminos and Rancheros of the day, right? right? Utes like, and stuff. Yeah. That's how much this segment's needed. Well, yeah. I don't know. It's a crazy world, but because you could get. Uh, you, <laughs> You could effectively get what most of these people are going to buy by buying a stripped-down F-150. Right, right. Right? Like, if you were to buy the fleet version of the F-150, you're pretty much getting this truck anyway. Yeah, and then you can hose it down. And right? <laughs> but, uh, any case, and, and speaking of unusable or unnecessary car segments, so there was an announcement, obviously Cadillac has this big CT4 
Uh, a lot of its future success is riding on this vehicle, which has been getting mixed reviews from what I read. The have you driven one? Uh, I have not yet, oh. no. No, we will be um, getting one relatively soon, probably. But uh, for now, it's just a CT5. No. But in any case, they announced that they're going to, or at least think about, again, per interviews with Jalopnik, because Jalopnik has become the Wikipedia of cars for me. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't do, like, the auto weeks and the auto traders. Oh, and, man. Sells too, too young to sell. I've millennial. Yeah, I used to read Motor... I used to, every day when I went into work, I read Motor Trend and Car and Driver. Online, of course, not the print version. I'm yeah, not a yeah. caveman. But in any case, point being... What are you saying? Point being... Yeah, that Hemmings thing has not been opened. Mike brought over a, a Hemmings car sales pamp booklet thing. Hemmings Motor News. Yeah, uh, and that has not gotten opened yet. I have gotten compliments on it, though. <laughs> but in any case, they said that they were coming out with a V-Sport CT4. So with those unfamiliar with it, V-Sport does not mean the V. So a CTS or a CT6 V-Sport is not a CT6 V. It is just a brand. So it's akin to when BMW drivers that are super snobby get a 3180M. That's not an M. That's not an M3. That's a car with nicer wheels, maybe a tiny spoiler and a special paint <laughs> job, right? So the V-Sport is a regular car with sport packaged things, right? So the question is, because they're not the only ones, again, why... Do we need that? If you're going to buy a luxury car... Yeah, but this has been around for when? as long as a vehicle's been around. Nay, nay. You could not get a Continental with a spoiler and, like, sport-inspired things. The Mach 1 package was all just a trim package. But the Mach 1 package... And I think maybe but a that's, sway bar. But, that's but still, it was basically that's still, all a trim package. That is a sports car. That is a sports car for sporty things that was made sportier, right? They did not take caravans and give you a sport package of a for, of a Dodge Caravan. What's the CT4? What's it look like? It looks like a CT5, but smaller. <laughs> and the V-Sport is literally, it's different wheels. They, I don't even think they changed anything performance-wise. But yeah, you, you couldn't get... Yeah, but this car is not like... You, could, you couldn't get a Windstar Sport, right? Like, now they have... They're talking about an Edge RS? Like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah, you're not wrong. Or like, the, who's buying the Hellcat Cherokees? The, the whatever they were called. Like, yeah, they're cool. But if you want a fast car, don't get a goddamn Cherokee. Yeah, you're right. Um, which goes back to my argument that cars are better than SUVs. I don't disagree with you. I like cars but, better, but um, it all it all goes to like now people want the SUV, right? But they also want it to be sporty because why? Why sporty? <laughs> like that's just so silly to me. Like, and maybe I'm gonna alienate some of the guys that listen to it. But it's like, God, if you're getting a minivan, just live with the fact that it's a minivan. Or get the nicest, get a land yacht with, like, champagne, always cool. It's not a race car. Like, don't get the Nuremberg package. If I had a minivan, I would pimp that shit Would out. you get, like, the Nuremberg I would, Pacifica? No, no. If I had a Pacifica, <laughs> it would be leather and mahogany inside. Yeah. With, like, a fucking 
non-alcoholic bar, right? Or, yeah, or like, yeah, I just, it, it boggles my mind sometimes. It's I'd like, get a driver. Yeah. If, uh, I had, if I had a minivan, I'd get a driver. Like, no one's taking the Cherokee Hellcat on, like, drag, right? Like, there's one dude in Ohio that's calling us. That has, <laughs> but, like, outside of that, like, it's just not, it doesn't make sense. Side note, if you have bought one of these, we want to hear from you and get your thoughts and opinions on this. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, but one company that made a lot of sense this quarter for the first time was Tesla. So Tesla, as we speak, has been had their first profitable, what was it, quarter? Yep, I think quarter. so. Quarter. Um, so more than what's impressive about Tesla being... Um, Profitable, right? The question I have to you, oh business person, why is it that you never see an earnings report of we made thirty dollars this quarter? Like it's always in tens of millions of dollars, one way or the other. Do companies just not operate at that level, or? Well, yeah, one companies just don't operate at that level. But what if they do? What if you they, literally they don't? Like, what if they had a cash... And if they did, nobody would give a shit. <laughs> if they and that's a... the kicker, is no one would give a shit. Right. Like, if they had a cash register's worth of profits, like, this this quarter we made $32. Like No, because at that point, you just call it even. You just call right? it even, right? yeah. You don't announce a profit, you don't announce a loss, you're like, no, we were just stagnant. But we what would you even put... Would, so on the earnings sheet, it would just say zero, then. If you made anything less than yeah, $1 million, much. it would just say zero. Well, and also because a lot of... Um, a lot of accounting is done in millions, right? right. As you know, working yeah. at cost yeah, studies yeah. and things. So it's done in terms of millions, right? So if you don't m match up to the million dollar mark, it's just like, well, you were fucked. Right. Like, you, okay, anything. so we'll go to a decimal. So the hundreds of thousands. So if you made, let's say your actual profit, like they crunched all the numbers on their little calculators or whatever we use these days for accounting. Um, what if you crunch numbers and you are like a thousand dollars in the green? Do you just say, "Well, that was we didn't make anything." Pretty much, you forgot a way to spend it. It's just that's just funny to me, and I understand scales and stuff, but it's just funny. I one day I would love like this would be a very Tesla thing to do for Elon Musk to be like, "We made three Big Macs." <laughs> like we we had a profit of three dollars, right? Like he went from negative to positive, whatever it was. I think it was like three hundred million dollars. Uh, by cutting people and yeah, but that's, that's <laughs> nothing in car terms, right? Right, like yeah, that's right. Ford had a bad but, year. Yeah, and we made what, like six billion dollars last year or something stupid. Yeah, I don't know. Um, we should have made a lot more than that, but I don't know. I don't know what the number was. Um, either way, we're talking billions. Yeah, but either way, yeah. yeah. But so, uh, so yeah, a couple, of, a couple million, or even a couple hundred million dollars. And it's sad that I'm I'm saying this, but like an assembly plant costs us a billion dollars, right, right? To like fucking put in. So a couple hundred million dollars is like, well, all right, guys, we were over budget, but right. it didn't kill us. Which what will be interesting to me is because I didn't actually have time to look at their their report um, in depth, and even if I did, it'd be like looking at Egyptian hieroglyphics hieroglyphics in some cases. Uh, but it'd be interesting to me to see if this was profitable because their operations are now have a positive cash flow or if it was a big cash dump on cutting people, cutting hours, whatever, and it was a um, temporary measures to induce a positive earning statement. You know what I mean? 
Oh yeah, well a lot of it's probably like uh, I wonder if the, how healthy their uh, cash flow. A lot is, of it's right? probably manipulation. I haven't looked at the numbers. I mean, they're a public company. We could go yeah. look at the numbers, but I'm lazy. Right. So um, would I, and I wouldn't understand them. Anymore. So I'm just gonna pontificate. But the way I understand finance, right, a more important thing for the health of an organization would be cash flow. Yeah. Yeah. But so would like dumping employees show up on your cash flow? I guess um, it would because it'd be a, a decrease of your expenses right yeah well it would show up because your cash flow would get better right um but uh, yeah in my opinion tesla probably uh didn't like illegally cook the books right Right. but they cooked the books in the sense of they manipulated the the numbers to make it work so they could they could be positive because elon musk had previously stated that they were going to be positive in third quarter of 2018 right Mm -hmm. so um it's, yeah, I would go with that. And well, and even things like, you know, they freaking set up an assembly line tent outside the freaking factory, right? Mm-hmm. That's a temporary measure to get production going. Yeah. You can't operate like that right. long term. You might be able to do it for, for now, but you can't operate like that, you know, like yeah. going forward. You, you, you can't. And that's what I mean. Like, I don't know if, like, they shut off the lights for, like, two months just to get operating costs down and then... Who knows? Yeah, maybe it was an exceptionally bright week. So we'll see, right? I mean, I guess the gold standard is always doing it quarter by quarter, right? I mean, making sure that they're long-term quarter... And that's the thing, is they need to establish a track record. So if they're down again next week, uh, or next quarter, then... I don't know, people look at it as just a blip, right? right? So... Yeah, we'll see. But uh, also speaking of the stuff that Tesla's down on, um, our feature event for the night that we're going to talk about, and this one's just going to be us pontificating, and we're going to try and avoid any sort of conflict of interest. But uh, Consumer Reports came out this year, their Consumer Reports, uh, and it's not so good for the American companies. Uh, yeah. So we have 11 of the bottom 12 spots. Uh, the highest being Ford was at 18. Um, now, interestingly, I was looking it up because I actually hadn't thought about how these ratings come about, and we'll get into that too, right? Well, I guess, yeah, let's talk just kind of some big moves first. So Tesla is still near the bottom of the list. I'd like to remind people like Tom who talk about Ford Reliability. (laughs) Uh, the last three companies, which in my mind is very surprising, are Tesla, Cadillac, and Volvo as far as reliability. Now, reliability, the way they measure it, or I guess we'll go here, yeah. Um, basically, they conduct, a, it's a questionnaire of only people that subscribe to Consumer Reports. So, Which has got to be a smaller audience these days. They're saying it's about 200 to 400 cases per model. Uh, I forgot how many. It's not a whole ton. It's past 12 yeah, That's actually a, a fairly decent sample size. Yeah, so then, and they asked them to include pro. Problems covered by warranty, but not the ones resulting from accident damage or solely to recall, which... Wait, you can't count the recall? You can't count the recall on reliability. Or solely due to recall. Yeah, I don't Um, know what this... That's kind of dumb. But But engine transmission, climate system, brakes, power, and accessories, which most are saying mostly the American consumers are... Just don't like the... The touch... The the interface. The the interface, which is the dumbest thing in the world. But yeah, so it's... Yeah, Ford got dinged for quite a few years because of uh, sync problems. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, serious problems, cost failure, downtime, just warranty issues, right? But so, so the question is, there's two questions. So one is, what makes 
American companies suck when it comes to reliability. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, I guess that's the main question. The other question was just whether the way they measure reliability, or more to the point, I've written about this before in one of our blog posts, whether people understand the frame of reference of these studies so that if someone goes to a dealership and they say, oh, this was a consumer report, like, that's just a survey of people. That may just be because most of the people that drive Toyotas that are also consumer reports people have good experience. You know what I mean? Like whether it's a, a Well, and see, that's, that's just it, right? And that's, that's my opinion with studies like this is because it's a very subjective um, sample. Right. Right. So, and then there's so many things framing it, right? I mean, you have the, um, you have the type of customer that buys that type of vehicle, right? Which already puts them in a certain category. Right. So if I'm a, um, I don't know, if I'm a Buick owner, maybe I'm in a certain demographic that's more likely to report whatever goes wrong with my vehicle or more likely to see something right. as a problem than say somebody who's a Kia owner, right? right? I, we're two, those are two completely different subsets of people. Most of the people who buy a Buick aren't cross shopping with Kia, right? right? They might be cross shopping with Genesis, right. but they're not cross shopping with Kia proper, right? Mm -hmm. and, and things like that are what don't get captured in this kind of survey, right? It's and I think there's a huge uh, bias for the different samples. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's what I was going to add. I mean, like, in my mind, again, I understand that these are probably pretty normalized, assuming they got the same amount of responses, they're all whatever, but in my mind, like, if you don't look at this, like, there's still a huge perception of imports, whether Japanese, German, now Korean, whatever the case is, have a reputation of being very good or not, whether the data now actually supports that claim, right? Like I, like I think the other day they were talking about how the CRV, the um, Civic, right, isn't head and shoulders above other cars as far as quality. Now, quality and reliability are different, obviously, but I still think it's a big perception thing, right? I think that outside of maybe the realm of these companies, I still think people think, you know, Toyota will last you forever where uh, a Ford Taurus will be crap. Now, we don't do great because Tom's had terrible luck with his car. Yeah. But all the Fords I've had, knock on wood, to this point, I haven't had any issues with general maintenance on them. I don't know. I mean, my, all my Fords have been old Fords. Um, but I mean, like, okay, so your uh, fiance now, her cars, she's had what? She's on her second straight lease of a Ford and she hasn't had issues with it. No, nothing that would be considered a reliability Serious. issue. Yeah, exactly. Right, I mean, some inc and, incidentals or whatever, but nothing that would be like, oh yeah, this is, this is unreliable because of whatever, right? right. I, I couldn't get to work because yeah. X, Y, Z. So yeah. But I think that my frame of reference for reliability is completely different than other people's frame of reference, right? Right. And for me, reliability has left me dead on the side of the road, right? That's pretty much the only thing that matters. Yeah. All other things are ancillary. Yeah, but I mean, and, and looking at, you know, what we can do, I mean, the obvious glaring one is, um, 
is is improve how we make things, right? Because it's even operating margin isn't going to give you reliability, but the idea that operating margin comes with better quality by the fact that your margin goes up because your quality goes up and your costs for repairing quality go down. But there also has to be something from the business side of the business that these guys are doing. Like you're more on that side. Like, is there anything where people say, oh, Hyundai does this better? Or is it always come down to they build cars better? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different um, benchmarking things that go on. I mean, you've seen that as far as engineering and whatnot. But so, I mean, I guess outside of the realm of engineering, right? So what would make... So reliability... Oh, are we talking as far as like operating margin of a company? No. So I'm saying, okay, so people talk about reliability. They say the Toyota cars are built better, right? Yeah, yeah. Toyota has a higher operating margin than Ford, right? Yeah. Operating margin can get affected by a lot of things. The main one you think of is engineering, right? Making better products or making the products in a better way. Yeah. But there's got to be other financial stuff in there. Like, I think as that would affect the operating margin, right? Because what, what I'm saying is I fail... Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of fixed costs that go into it, right? Not necessarily variable costs. I, so I, really... I don't know, right? I don't know this is fact, but I don't think that there is a revolutionary new way of making cars. And I know some about the cultures unofficially, the Japanese companies and the German companies, right? That tend to have a do-it-better-once or a more knowledgeable work base or whatever you want to call it. But we're not talking, I mean, Hyundai's operating margin is probably close to twice ours. Hyundai was up in the 14s. We were at like, what, eight, nine? Yeah. Um, I don't think they're making things twice as good or twice as cheap just in the making them part. You know what I mean? Right. No, I mean, there's a lot of uh, indirect costs that go into operating margin, right? Because operating margin is the entire cost of the fucking company. Right. Um, and for a long time, Ford had the largest or one of the largest engineering teams, um, at least in the country, mm-hmm. right? And that would decrease your operating margin because you've got all this indirect labor that you've got to build into the price of your car right. while still being competitive on the price of your car, Right. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of things like that that hurt you. And let's be honest, so especially a company like Ford, like we're top heavy. Um, but that's not to say any, any of the other ones are necessarily much better, but it could just be a, um, a better utilization of people, right? I don't know, or a more attention paid right. to, to the nuances, right? Like yeah. may, maybe for them, um, as they're planning, the, a rounding error isn't a million dollars, right? Maybe a rounding error for them really is a thousand dollars. You know, maybe there's no, maybe there's no rounding error, right? Yeah. I want it to the to the cent. Yeah. Because if you start, if you let the bean counters get away with it, the bean counters will will definitely yeah. watch all of it. Right? Yeah, I don't know. And I guess reframing it. If this is just pure reliability, then I guess we just the Americans just all build terrible cars. <laughs> yeah. Well. So I don't know. That's somebody's thought about it anyway. Yeah. It's just one of those things where I look at it and I understand some of the gaps where, you know, just doing benchmarking and stuff where we have issues and stuff, right? But, I mean, we buy a lot of the stuff from the same suppliers. It's, it'd be, it's shocking to me that nobody can crack even the top half of this line, right? 
I mean, like I said, Ford was the first American one, and it's 18. So we're saying no, American, no American cars are in yeah the top 50%, basically. So we, we as a country, yeah, it's just straight lineup. 18, Ford, Buick, Lincoln, Dodge, Jeep, Chevrolet, Chrysler, GMC, Ram, Tesla, Cadillac, Volvo. The only non-American Volvo. company in the bottom is Volvo, which is also very surprising, right? Because Volvo cars look great. They're known for their safety. But they're Swedish and they're owned by the Chinese. And then, yeah, they're now they're made in China. I think that, uh, oof, I think the original owners of Volvo are probably rolling over their graves. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the, the last, whatever, 18 through 31 are American companies. So we just build crap. Apparently. And all what? other things being equal, and, which and, let's be honest, all other things aren't equal, but all things being equal, yes, we build crap. And we want to, uh, and we want to bring more labor here to build more crap. <laughs> I won't get into that right now. That one will start upsetting people. But either way, we got to figure something out. We got to turn the tide on on these reliability of of American cars because it uh, it's not a good show. And if you have an American car, maybe look across at your neighbors and don't be so harsh on yours. Maybe, <laughs> maybe your touchscreen doesn't need to work instantaneously and you don't report it and have issues like that. But I don't know. So I think I've exhausted that point. I don't know how much you talk. That, you one's, pretty, that one's pretty, uh, I think, yeah, you and, beat that uh, one. Good. So in any case, I guess right now, so as you guys know, as the listeners know, uh, Project Alcan would have been over anyway, so that's how we're going to state it. Alcan is over. Um, but it doesn't mean that Mike's garage is any less full or less active. So uh, we're going to have what we are now rebranding as the old car update. Uh, Mike has a few, and uh, Tom, Tom has, one, has now. one now. So, in any we're, case. We're kind of trying to get Sal one, but he's resisting. I'm resisting because I know myself too well. But in any case. You had a guest visitor this week, uh, a 169 Torino that you built. So what happened with that? Oh, yeah. the uh, So there's a pivot. There's a clutch Z-bar pivot mm-hmm. that mounts to the engine. Um, it just screws in. It's basically a, a, a stud with um, a little plastic ball on the end and whatnot. And then it's got a, a hex on it, right? So you can screw it in with a nut or screw it in. To the block and it just goes into the block and there's not really enough um well you run into interference problems with the the z-bar bracket if you were to try and put like a lock washer on it mm-hmm. so it came out which left roman without a clutch and roman much like yourself doesn't know how to drive a stick with no clutch accurate so he had some trouble getting it here but he finally got it here, and then it started to hail, so we didn't quite fix it. And then I fixed it the next day, and that was that. So now it runs and drives good. Nice, but it's a nice cameo from uh, from back in the day. Yeah, yeah, it was good to work on that car again. I like the Torino. Some days I miss that car. It's a good, solid car. It's one of the the best recommendations Sal ever had. Yeah, yeah, that car was for uh, those listeners that. I don't know if we ever talked about this, but the Torino was actually originally we were looking at it because I wanted to look at cars. But he would never pull the trigger. That's accurate. I would just spend my life withering away. He just kept sending me links. It wore me out. Right, exactly. And then uh, finally we saw this Torino, and then 
We're like, oh, we'll go take a look at it. And clearly I wasn't buying the thing, but Mike uh, fell for it. Um, and uh, yeah, and then you bought it and you started building it. And the six-month project turned into a year-and-a-half project. It was like, yeah, it was like two. But uh, it got done, and, and now it's living, uh, living its best life. It's definitely getting used, for sure. Yeah, there you go. Roman likes it. So that's the truth. You know, what's, has there been any updates on the truck? The Alcan truck? The Alcan truck. Um, now Betty White or whatever we decided we were going to yeah, call it. Yeah, Grandpa. Grandpa? It's Grandpa. I think so. Mm. Um, I think the points are better. Well, I think the condenser is bad, and I think the points may be shot. Um, when you say points, what does that mean in American lay person English? They're points in the distributor. They're Ah, okay. So the distributor, the points in the distributor. There's, there's no other points in the car. There is a lot of things I could call points. There are no other points on a car. <laughs> so the points those are bad. the only points. But anyway. I could put a dot somewhere and say it's point A, and I, it can be a point. Or at least I, that's what my math teacher tells me. I think the um, I think the condenser's shot, and it's causing it to run rough. And well, right now it's not letting it start. Um, I kind of thought it might have been the power valve to begin with, but then I started thinking about it and kind of hashing over what the problems were and how, what, how it was acting and things, and I think it's the condenser. But in order to get to it, I have to take the fan off the shroud, which is kind of a process, so um, I've just been kind of putting it off so I've got a little bit of time to actually work on it. But I, I do have a condenser sitting on the shelf in the garage, so whenever I actually find the time to tear the damn thing apart. It should work again, hopefully. And then I'm gonna install a heater. That's probably important. Cause it's time. cold. And I wanna wire up those seat heaters because it's got seat heaters in it, so why not wire them? Yeah. So, winterization of the truck is next on the agenda. Yep. So yeah. Um, and then we, there is a upcoming project that we haven't revealed to the listeners. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, we, but, can talk, we can talk about that. Uh, I enlisted the designer. Right, right. So, so, so now it's official. So now it's official. Right now uh, it has to have... Mike, you have to have a new spring system designed by December 3rd at 6 p.m. roughly is when the turn-in is. No, I thought you were designing it. Well, you have to have it designed no. by December 3rd. No, so for listeners who don't know, Mike is going to build a new custom vehicle, or at least attempt to. Yeah, no, um, not attempt to. Pending wedding. Don't, don't wedding insult me like plans. that. Well, well, yeah, that's true. Another 10 grand people might show up, you never know. Pending, uh, pending wedding, wedding plans, yeah, for sure. Right, exactly. So, uh, yeah, he's building a custom truck, and so the. the no, thing, I'm building a custom car. Sorry. It's car. going to be a two seat roadster. Two seat roadster. Powered by the Lincoln V12 that I've already got in the garage. And that you just found the extra piston for. Yeah, because it was in a box that I bought a long time ago, but I forgot about. Um, but yeah, I'm going to build the Lincoln V12. I'm going to back it up with a T5, mm-hmm. a world-class T5, because I've already got one of those on the shelf. And I want overdrive, right? But I kind of want to do it simply because I actually want the roadster to be fairly drivable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not I'm not going for like a period-correct vehicle or anything. I'm definitely going for usability um, and kind of a, a modern-ish take on some classic styling. So, so yeah, it'll still be styled similar to a, a pre-war uh, roadster. So, you know, picture long hood, yeah. 
uh, high grill, you know, fenders, separate yep. fenders or whatever. Yep, yep. Probably boat tail style. A, a hot rod, some might call it? No, it's definitely going to lean more towards the luxury vehicle towards side. Like a, like a Bel Air? Are we talking like that type of? Like a Bel Air, no. Aren't the Bel Air the old, old, old there, Bel Air, like the first ones? What? With like the wings on the back? I don't know what you're talking about. A Bel Air was like 1955. Mm. Like the Tri-5 Chevys? Like, like Chevy yeah. Bel Airs. Yeah, like the... That's not, that is not what I'm going for. That is uh, not pre-war at all. That was 55. Gotcha. Pre-war means, by definition, before when was, 1942. When was Happy Days? <laughs> <laughs> like Diner and Milkshake and Roadster? Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> talking like oh so we're talking like paperboy like, like zz top roadster that no like that's zz no, top eliminator no, no what no <sighs> so we're talking like after 30s coupe like after john dillinger fords and they're kind of like before, john dillinger before fords. the ballet somewhere somewhere okay all right well now that that's clear as mud probably all the listeners are like god this guy is so <laughs> stupid how does he not know what a, a pre-war fast coupe looks like? But in any case, uh, I will be designing for my uh, last, hopefully, master's class. Uh, we're going to try and replace one transverse spring, leaf spring. A transverse leaf spring, yep. Yeah, with uh, two quarter ellipticals, well, four quarter ellipticals if we can replace both the front and the back. Yep. Um, with quarter idea. elliptical ones. So I, I just was planning it out in my head how I think I can... Do it because we looked up at uh, good old friends at Eaton Springs. We looked up the spring rate and things like that. I love that. those guys. So I can just make some assumptions and assume you wanted to deflect the same amount. And uh, that's probably a decent assumption. Use some math and bingo, bango, you have quarter lift. <laughs> yeah. Okay, if only it were that simple. That's how I pictured my head. Nothing about mounting or anything. It's just uh, a little bit of math and uh, we're good. And then I just have to figure out how it'll all work. Right. It'll have crazy body roll because the frame won't be stiff at all, but... Uh, the frame's going to be stiff. What are you talking about? Frame, not without removing uh, transverse members. Well, I mean, there will be. You, you just don't use them the same way. You Sal's just, looking at me. He's wanna, got this look. He just, he just went oh, quiet. That's right. You just wanted to move it back on the car. That's what you said, right? Yeah, there's still going to be cross members for sure. Well, yeah, be. I know there has to be, but it's not going to be as stiff. It's good. No, it'll be stiff. Are stiffer. you removing them or are you just going to pile them all together? I'm building it from scratch. Yeah, I know, but like, assuming you have a box with four cross members, I thought we were removing two of them, but you're saying you're just going to squish all four of them? No, I'm just going to change how they're designed because currently the way that uh, they're designed for transverse leaf springs some a lot of people will flip them upside down and still use transverse leaf springs but it creates clearance issues and things so i'm going to move them to places where they won't create the clearance issues that they currently create but take away the leaf springs and change how the leaf springs mount which gives me more uh flexibility with where i mount the leaf springs and the suspension and other components Sounds like a whole lot of work for not a lot of benefit. It's going to be a whole lot of work. <laughs> I never said it wasn't going to be a lot of work. Well, 
We're all looking forward to it, Mike. Yeah, we're looking well, forward to lots of work except for you. So target target date is SEMA twenty one. So there we'll we see. That's my target date. Mark it on your calendars. Hopefully, Mike's get started uh, before six months before it's due. Yeah. So. We know how that works out. In any case, hope you guys enjoyed uh, today's episode. It's a bit all over the place. A lot of emotion from this side of the table. But uh, <laughs> but we appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll try and keep it as frequent as we can. And yeah, Mike, you got anything else? No, that's it. Like, share, follow, etc., etc. Leave us some comments. Um, iTunes, I think, is still the best place for comments. So hit us up there. Or just spam Tom on Instagram. Just yeah, that's DM it. DM him. Just slide right in the DMs. Tom, Tom likes the DMs. So hit up Tom on the DMs and we'll talk to you next week.